All right, so this section here basically is about uh, if you resist authority um, and oppose, uh, then you're opposing the ordinance of God. And then he goes on to talk about rulers. And so rulers uh, are to punish evil behavior. Uh, rulers are to reward good behavior. And if you're going to do evil, then you should be afraid. And if you're doing good, you shouldn't be afraid of, of rulers. Um, but if you are doing evil, they are God's avenger. So then he says, therefore, because of that, because, because you should be afraid of them, it's necessary for you to be in subjection. Not only because of wrath, but also for consciousness' sake. So, the wrath there is the wrath of the government and the wrath of the ruler. So, because he's going to um, be uh, wrathful towards you if you don't obey or if you're doing evil, you should obey. But then he says also do it for conscious sake. And so that's what does that imply then about following rulers? you could violate your conscience by not doing it, then that makes it a, a law of God. You'd be sinning if you didn't do that. But this is a way, you know, if we're trying to keep our conscience clean, then this would be something we would want to do. We'd want to make sure that we obey civil authority. I wish more people believed that these days. Yes, that's a big problem. So we're not to resist authority or we'll be violating God's law and... By doing so, we'll violate our conscience if it's trained correctly. So, we're going to look at some scriptures next about um, about um, God seeing our conscience even when others don't see us the way God does. So, as we look at the first part of this, this top part says you're going to be troubled. You're going to have uh, suffering, and you're going to uh, suffer for the sake of righteousness. You're going to be slandered. So then he says, um, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So what's he telling us in this verse about our conscience? Saying, keep a good conscience so that someone else will be slandered. So we're following our conscience and keeping it, uh, keeping our conscience, being true to our conscience. And if you're following Christ, then you're not the one that's going to be put to shame, but the one who is slandering you will be. So if you're doing the right thing, um, and you're keeping your conscience clean, and you're doing uh, the good behavior in Christ, then you're not going to be put to shame, even though someone is trying to shame you. <clears throat> the next half of this is um, Jesus freed us from the prison of sin. And he gave an example here of Noah who took his family of eight people and brought them safely through the water. That's an example of what? Baptism. So he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but appeal to God for a good conscience through the re resurrection of Christ. So in between these two dashes, that's a parenthetical. So if we just read that without it, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what is baptism then? It's not a removal of dirt from the flesh, but it is what? Removal of sin from your... Yeah, for here he says that it is an um, appeal to God for a good conscience. 
You know, maybe that's why conscience is not ever mentioned in the Old Testament. I did not know that until you said it. Yeah, I didn't either until I started studying this. That's interesting. It is. So, um, when we appeal to God for a good conscience, we are asking Him, give me a good conscience. Mm -hmm. Well, we know what cleanses our conscience, and that is the blood of Christ. Where do we contact the blood of Christ? Baptism. Through baptism. So, baptism is us asking God to clean our hearts. So, many times when we read that, we, you know, when I read it, I think of um, Baptists and others who just say, well, baptism isn't really necessary. It's just an appeal to God for a good conscience. That just kind of rolls off your tongue. Mm -hmm. so, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that you're appealing to God for a good conscience? Well, you're asking God to cleanse your conscience. Well, how does He do that? Through His blood, and that's through baptism. So now we understand that actually what He's saying here is not that it's not necessary. He's saying it's very, very necessary because if you're going to ask God for a good conscience, then baptism is the way uh, you're going to do that to contact the blood of Christ. So, well, He's not going to. Answer our prayer for a good conscience if we're not trying to follow what he says to Correct. do. Correct. And so when we look at these two, it says here that um, this is a symbol for the present time according to both gifts and sacrifices um, are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So we knew in the Old Testament that we couldn't be cleansed and, and made perfect in conscience. But in the New Testament here, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we see that cleansing right there. Cleansing your conscience from, from uh, dead works to serve God. And then we also looked at Hebrews 10, 1 through 2, um, that says if we would have cleansed ourselves from, the, from sin, we would have no more consciousness of sin. And then in Hebrews 10, 22, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So that putting all that together, we, we come to the conclusion that having a perfect conscience begins with baptism, and then how do we cleanse it from there? Prayer. Prayer and, and asking God for help. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, here's, therefore, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience inside of God. Now this is a whole different use of conscience. So here what we're trying to get to is we want to commend ourselves to every man's conscience. And he, Paul said he did that by, by the manifestation of truth. So by making truth known, which means when I went out and taught people, I was commending myself to their conscience. How do we commend ourselves to others' conscience, and what does that actually mean? Our what is actions and what we say, and, and like Paul was, uh, you know, he, he said so many times, do as I am doing, because I'm following, uh -huh. in, in, I'm following Jesus' commands, and so I have a, I have a clean conscience. And, if, and I, if I get myself made known in your conscience, that might say that you trust me. Yeah. And so Paul's saying, by the fact that I came along and I talk, taught you, not in craftiness, but I, taught, I didn't adulterate the Word of God, but I made the truth known to you, I'm commending myself to your conscience. You should look at me and now add me to your conscience so that when you and I deal, you'll know that I'm faithful. You'll know that I'm truthful. You'll know that I'm honest. And, and so, an example of a clear conscience that, that people can follow. Yeah, and so... 
we have a responsibility to commend ourselves to others' conscience. In other words, we got to live in a way that makes others' conscience view us with trust. And we see that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oops. In this one here. Um, and here he's, Paul said he wanted to be pleasing to God. And then he said, well, we're all going to face the judgment seat of God uh, at the end of our lives for what we did, either good or bad. And then he says, therefore, because of that, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made known to God, and I hope that we are made known also in your consciences. Again, the same idea. We're out persuading men, we're out teaching them, and God knows us, but we also want to be known in your conscience. We also want to be you to look at us like God looks at us, that we would be trustworthy. And so that's a different use of the word conscience. So Paul's hoping that the way he's been conducting himself will allow them to trust him. Is that important for a teacher? Very, very important. So it's something that we need to be aware of. Uh, Acts 23 and verse 1. This one says, uh, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience to God up to this day. Now let's read this one. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and whatever an aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ. Paul was a pretty good example of, uh, of what that, that sometimes we can't trust our conscience if we don't know Jesus mm -hmm. because he was a persecutor, of, like he said, and but he said he lived a perfectly good conscience. So how do we reconcile so, that? How do yeah. we reconcile that? Uh, I lived my life as with a good conscience, but I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor. He didn't know the, mm -hmm. the right way, the, okay. the, how what his conscience was supposed to so be. So he, he said I acted ignorantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, when he learned. Then he, uh, his, his conscience was clean, again, so, still, whatever. So did uh, he sin? Yeah, but in the right way. Did he way. sin when he, was, when he was persecuting Christians? Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. He a good conscience. He Just because you have God. a good conscience then doesn't yeah. say that you're not going to sin, right? Mm -hmm. And why, was, why did Paul do that? Because he, his conscience wasn't trained correctly, was it? Oh. His conscience was still thinking Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And when his conscience was trained... Uh, into the grace of the Lord, then because of the grace of God and that being so abundant, then he was useful to God and he corrected Paul's conscience. <laughs> I, I just now noticed what you have down there on the bottom line. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always mean that we're, we're having a good conscience. But it, is it important? Did, did Paul think this was important to have a good conscience even if it was wrong? Yeah, it was really, really important. So we're going to look at violating our conscience next, which is kind of going along with that. But but um, just because our conscience is is not violated doesn't mean that we're right. And so we have to be very careful in both aspects of that. Okay. So First um, Corinthians chapter eight. So this says uh, knowledge makes us arrogant, but love will make us care. And then he says there's no such thing as an idol. 
God's created all things for good. And then he says, However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So is there really such a thing as an idol? No. So can you eat meat sacrificed to an idol? Yes. Depend on your conscience, yeah. But if your conscience says you can't, then you can't. Don't, yeah. But if it says you can't still, then don't do it. Don't do it. We'll and so that's what he says next. He yeah. says, be careful. Be mm -hmm. careful. Yeah, we go back to James again, where it says if you think it's a sin, then for you it is. For you it is. And that's what he's going to go on here to say. Um, be careful, for if someone sees you who have knowledge, just because you know what's right and they don't, someone sees you dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? The answer is yes. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother whose sake of, uh, for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So there's another different use of the word conscience. And here it is being uh, sympathetic and aware of those who have a different viewpoint than you do and being very careful. We're going to look at, um, in just a minute, we're going to go through this, uh, this matters of opinion and, uh, and talk about that because that's another important aspect of this. So we have to be careful that just because um, we know that we can do something doesn't mean everybody can and we need to be very aware of others' viewpoints on things. So now, what happens if we violate our conscience? This is a big, a big issue. Uh, <clears throat> the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. What is that picture of? It's a burnt conscience with a branding iron. Jason knows about branding irons. They're not very forgiving, are they? And what's left when you pull that off? A nasty burn. Burn yeah. that turns into a nasty and a scar. It's a very bad scar. Long yeah, term. permanent scar. And after some amount of time, there's no feeling left there. Callous. So let's take our ear. Uh, I tried to find some, think of some very sensitive instrument we have. But we have an eardrum that uh, sound goes against it and moves it. That takes this little bone and moves it, and that bone pushes in and out on a on a, uh, a membrane that causes the liquid in your ear to to get little waves that go across it. So that that sound wave got turned into a, a liquid wave. And that goes across these little hairs in your ear. And those little hairs take that motion and convert it into electrical energy and send it to your brain. And I'm a good example of that because I'm deaf, totally deaf in this mm -hmm. ear because they say the little hairs are all broken off because I had a bad virus several years yeah. ago. And, and so and if you uh, took a branding iron and Put yeah, it on it's, that. it's the same thing. It would mm -hmm. just, all those hairs would be gone. Yeah, and, and they're gone, and I heard nothing in that yeah, ear. Yeah, no hearing. And it doesn't come back. Yeah, so, right. you know, if our conscience is just totally destroyed, then we're going to go with it. So is it okay to violate your conscience now and then? Not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And that's where Paul, when he was following his conscience, was a good thing, even if it was wrong you still got to be careful. Before you start changing your behavior, you better change your conscience first so that your behavior remains consistent with your conscience. But you should feel guilt. 
if you, you violate your conscience to <clears throat> cause you to change your behavior. Yes. So you're not violating it anymore. And and the problem there is is you won't feel guilt. But let's look at the next scripture because I think it will illustrate the point you're making. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now, if you think about that, you might think, well, God doesn't doesn't have anything to do with them, so obviously everything they do is unpure. But I think there's a different way to look at this. So if you're true to your conscience, your conscience is trained and you're true to your conscience, what are you going to do? All the right things. So to you, all things are pure. Now let's say that you uh, train your conscience to believe something that's false. So now you come along and you say, I'm going to be true to my conscience and do that which is false. Are you right or wrong? wrong. You're wrong. That's what Paul was doing. Now let's say that you come along and you go ahead and say, well, I'm going to do what's right. But it's against my conscience. Are you right or wrong? You're Ooh. still wrong. <laughs> right? Because you're violating your conscience now. That's true. Mm -hmm. So until you change that conscience to be in sync with what's right, that's why to the, to the uh, defiled, there's nothing that's pure. There's nothing you can do that's right. Because if you do what's right, you're violating your conscience, which means you're wrong. And if you do what's wrong, then you're violating God's law, and you're wrong. So to you who are defiled in your conscience, there's nothing you can do that's right. And so you've got to fix the train the conscience correctly first, and then follow the conscience. But you're in a bad situation when your conscience is trained wrong because there's nothing you can do that's good. And, uh, and so that tells us again how important training the conscience really is. This also tells us that our mind and our conscience are different. They're not the same thing. Because we have something in our mind, our, both our mind and our conscience are defiled. That which we think and that which we believe are at odds with each other. All right. So, what have we learned so far? These are, I, I think, all the lessons that we've pulled out of this section, which are a lot. There's a lot of things that we saw here. So, our consciences, our inner thoughts, our minds, and our hearts, uh, we're to be blameless and pure and clean. Our conscience needs to be taught. It tells us what is right and what's wrong. Conscience can be evil, but it can be cleansed from evil. Conscience tells us when we're doing right and when we're doing wrong. We shouldn't want to have a good conscience. The pursuit of the of having a clear conscience will cause us to do the right things. God sees our conscience even if men don't. We are to work to keep our consciences clear before God, so that implies effort. We have to remain true to our conscience, and we just talked about that. Our conscience is not the same thing as our thoughts or our minds. The conscience carries the awareness and guilt of past sins unless it's cleansed. Our conscience can be wrong. It is sinful to violate our conscience or to cause someone else to violate theirs. And our conscience can be seared and defiled, making it act improperly. We pulled a lot of lessons out of those the verses that we looked at. And uh, we see quite a few things here about what our conscience is, what it does for us, how it helps us, how it hurts us, and uh, kind of our responsibility towards it to make it right. All right. So... Um, these, we talked really a lot here about with respect to doctrine, right? Let's talk about opinions. 
do you put opinions in your conscience? You do. We don't just put doctrine in there, but we put opinions in there too. Like, I think it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Well, we know that where that's going, right? That's going to Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We generally call these Christian liberties, but they're really matters of opinion. Now, let's just say matters of opinion are not, not really as important as matters of doctrine, right? Well, on one hand, no. But on the other hand, if you train your conscience to do something and you don't follow it, they could be more important. It's just as bad, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah, you could do wrong. Because for you to know who knoweth to do right and don't do it, to him it's sin. So if you believe that you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols and you do it anyway, and you're sinning. then you're sinning. So matters of opinion matter as much as doctrine. They're not as important as doctrine, but they are important. Um, because if you violate your conscience, you're, just, you're sinning just as much as if it was a doctrinal issue. So, when we look at others who have opinions, how should we view them? Do we think our opinion is more important than theirs? No. In fact, what... In the light of how God would view it. Yeah, and He would say, you really ought to look at others' opinions first. Except the one who's weak in faith. But not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he made all things, but he was weak, he's vegetables only. So the stronger one, the person has faith, he think, he knows the truth, and the one who's weak thinks he can only eat vegetables. So the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. Both people here have a responsibility. And who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master? He stands or falls? He will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, when we look at this, the one who knows that he can eat meat, he's not to regard with contempt. Why? Because he knows it's not a law. He knows that it's a matter of opinion. So, don't look at that person with contempt. But to the one who thinks that uh, eating meat is wrong, to him that's a doctrinal issue. So when he looks at the other person, he doesn't just regard them with contempt. He judges them because he thinks it's a matter of doctrine. Now that makes this difficult because you who think it's a matter of doctrine, you're not to judge the one who eats. So if someone tells you, no, this is a matter of opinion, you got to start, even the weak person has to start uh, being careful here because you can't start judging this person who's um, eating meat because he may be right. Now, does that mean you should eat? No, because you still believe it's wrong. The one who eats, you're not to, to look down on the other person because he just doesn't know. And so there's a responsibility here between the two. So in matters of conscience, we have a responsibility to each other um, not to cause the other one to violate their conscience. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, so the one who has a clear got, uh, grasp of the gospel um, is called the one with faith, and the one who uh, doesn't is called the one um, who's weak. In this case, the weak one's conscience isn't seared. Their conscience is actually overly sensitive. They think that eating meat is wrong, and it's not. And so they need, what do they need to get them out of this situation? Do not judge. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. We're, we're, we're to be careful about looking at each other. And if they're in that situation, well, be respectful of that. Do you just leave them there? 
teach and help them to get past mm -hmm. that. <clears throat> and then when they get past it, then you'll both be on the same play, level playing field, and then you won't have that matter between you anymore. But you, as the one who knows better, if that person has a problem, what's your responsibility? Don't rub it in his face. Yeah. Don't, and don't cause them to do something they can't do. Because if you, if you give them the boldness to go eat meat when they don't think they should, mm -hmm. then you're causing them to sin. And you're just as guilty as they are then. So it's a very delicate situation um, that, that this situation puts everybody in. But really the person who has to probably step up the most is the one who knows the most. And you have to be very respectful and thoughtful about how you take your next step. Okay. Um, so the last verse here says God's able to make him stand. So basically, don't you don't need to, to be the one to judge. You just need to be uh, to let God take care of it. Then when we look at the next section in the same same verses, verse ten he says, "But why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? We all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's not your place to try to judge them." Just let God take care of it. And when you do that, then things will go a lot better. And so the judging your brother, that's the the, um, the judging your brother, that's the weak one. And why do you regard with contempt? That's the strong one, or the one with faith. Both of them are to back off and let God take care of it. So in matters of opinion, we don't we don't try to um, uh, make a judgment about it. We just we we need to step back, let God take care of the judging part, and then we need to take care of the walking softly and, and uh, regarding one another's opinions. Alright, the next section then uh, says, so then let each one of us, so then each one of us will give an account of God to himself. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in brother's way. So if instead of using our knowledge to say, I know the truth, we use love to say, I'm not going to put an obstacle in your way. That goes a long ways. That, that takes care of the problem almost completely if you have love instead of knowledge, which is the very first verse he started out with. You who have knowledge, instead you ought to have love. Well, knowledge sometimes gets us in trouble, whereas love will, will get us out of trouble. All right. Next set of verses here. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So I have knowledge and I know what's true. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And that's no different than what James says, is it? To you who think it's unclean, it is unclean. So if you think some food is going to make you unclean, then don't eat it. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ has died. So the person who believes that has a responsibility and the person looking on them has a responsibility. So God never leaves it just in one person's court. There's no blame going on here. This is this is both sides need to to jump in and do their part. <clears throat> Even though Paul knew there was nothing wrong with it. So the next set of scriptures here in the same passage looking at verse 21 to 23 
It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. And so again, what that's saying, if you've trained your conscience to, to believe one way, and you do a different way, uh, you're going to be sinning. And so, if you have doubts, don't do it. Follow your conscience. Stay true to your conscience. And so again, that makes it even more important that we train our conscience correctly. <clears throat> and then uh, the other texts that, that deal with this are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 10-13, uh, For if someone sees you, you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That passage really doesn't even talk much towards the, the one who's weak, other than to tell him um, to say that they're going to be ruined. But the full instruction here is to whom? The one that's strong, right? The one with the faith who knows better, the one with the knowledge who knows what's right. Um, in this case, it's all directed at them. <clears throat> and then we have First uh, Corinthians 10. This one, uh, this one has some difficulty here. So, if one of the unbelievers invites you, if one, yeah, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So this is if a Gentile should come along and invite you to come have a, a meal with him. Now, in the Old Testament, was that possible? Could not do it. There was no way to make that work. So would that be a problem for them in the New Testament? They might have some reservations about that. But there was a lot of teaching that went on in the New Testament days to tell them this is okay now. But there were still people who had a problem with that. So if they invite you to come over and you, you want to go, go. Eat anything that's set before you. Don't ask questions. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for your conscience sake, or, and for conscience sake, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? <coughs> that last sentence there just seems completely out of place. Um, that's why there's some difficulty here. Um, from what I can uh, understand, uh, this verse 28 and this first part of 29 up to the comma is a parenthetical. So that's a, a qualifier but set apart by itself. So let's just take that out. And then if we read it, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions, for conscience sake, but the other man's are, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? So here you are sitting at dinner, and you're eating this meat. And the other guy sitting over there eating his meat, he knows that this meat was sacrificed to idols. You don't. Is that a problem for you? 
It's not. Not a problem. And he says, why would my why would my freedom be judged by another's conscience? He's sitting over there with his conscience, knowing that that was sacrificed to idols. But you're not judged by what he believes. You're not judged by what he knows. You're not judged by his conscience. You're judged by your conscience. And so, how do you hung up on that? Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. How do you keep your conscience clean? Don't ask. Now, if you ask, now, so if you don't ask, what, what do you now not know? You don't know where the heart came from. You don't know where it came from. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you find out that it was sacrificed to idols, what problem do you now have? Even if you know that it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols, what problem do you have? Not the other guy. What about the other guy? Yeah. yeah. You don't necessarily know what he's going to think. And so, what should you do? Don't eat. Why? For your own conscience? No, for his No, his. for his conscience. Now, exactly what he says. This meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience sake. Not your conscience, but the other man's. <coughs> so that parenthetical standing alone describes the, the case of when you find out it's true, and the outer section is when you don't know that it's true. And so, this might be where sometimes knowing something is a bigger problem than not knowing. Because <laughs> now you, you have to feel The old saying, what you don't know is not going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, but you have a responsibility now, right? Now that you know. And, and you know, fortunately, we don't have that problem today, do we? Actually, it's all over. It's all around <laughs> us, right? As soon as you find out someone has, is doing something wrong, what position does that put you in? Now you need to start to deal with them. You need to see what you can do to help them. If you don't know, there's not much you can do. But once you find out, then you have responsibilities. Well, in the area of conscience, um, if you can, if there are certain things that, that might be a problem along the way, just avoid the discussion of them, and then you won't cause problems on either side. But as soon as you know, like in the cases we've been looking at, as soon as you know that someone is has a problem with eating meat sacrificed idols and now you with that knowledge now you have a responsibility placed on you and you need to be very careful can you think of any situations we have today that are like meat sacrificed idols kinds of things <clears throat> we don't have that many of those kind of things but um I've heard people talk about Halloween in that way. Yeah. Well, you can't, I, I can't, I can't celebrate Halloween because Halloween <clears throat> is, a, is a celebration for Satan. <laughs> well, if you believe that, <clears throat> should, you, should you celebrate it? <laughs> now, if I know they believe that, should I, should I come over to his house trick-or-treating? <laughs> no. You probably wouldn't get anything. No. <laughs> so you need to be careful, right? Because now that you know that, now you need to be careful with yeah. that. And it's okay for you to do it, but you have to be careful around Now, if you think they're going to see you or hear about you or know about you doing it, what, that might, what then might you do? It probably. <laughs> probably ought to avoid it, right? Then you need to teach them. Then and then teach them. And yeah. if you can get them to the point where they see the truth of that, yeah. then you've, you've taken that you've, situation you've out of the way. 
So now you're not just training your conscience, you're actually training their conscience. And you're helping them to come to a higher level, and you're actually taking a weak conscience and making it stronger. And so um, that's a pretty good, um, pretty good set of rules to follow when you're thinking about your conscience, because if you even look at doctrinal things that way, where um, you just people can't violate their conscience no matter what they believe, that you need to train them. And that's true in doctrine and true in opinion as well. You know, I had that, I, I hadn't thought about it, but a, a situation come like that come up today. Uh, you know, Kibble is a Jewish establishment, and I have a very good friend there who is Jewish. And um, she gave me a Thanksgiving gift. She said, I don't celebrate Christmas, but I want to give you a gift. So she gave me a Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. She didn't violate her conscience. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, she we, we respect each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but but she that's the way she got around it without violating her conscience. She wanted to give me a gift, but yeah. she didn't violate her conscience. So she was able to show you kindness. Yeah. But you also now know that in the area of Chris, Christmas, you would be careful with her, right? Yeah. You wouldn't go throwing that in her face to create yeah. a problem for her. Mm -hmm. Those are Christmas is another one of those people have strong feelings one mm -hmm. way or the other about it, mm -hmm. and you need to respect that. Yeah. So, do opinions matter? Oh, yeah. Opinions matter. Do um, how we deal with opinions, does that matter? Matters even more than just the opinions, right? Now, how we deal with others and their opinions, that's the, the most important thing. So, um, we have to be really careful uh, when we're looking at conscience that we, we consider doctrinal things, we consider what our conscience is all about. Um, I think probably one of the stronger lessons that we learned was if you strive to keep your conscience clean, that will help you towards the bigger picture of living righteously. And so that's kind of a shorter term uh, way of looking at uh, doing all the right things. But just train your conscience correctly and follow it. And when you get to that point, things will become more habitual and life will get a little easier. So we finished the section on conscience, so go ahead and do the next set of questions. And we'll pick up with each of you in the next section.